According to statistics from a national survey on drug use and health, 11.4 million Americans misused opioids in 2017, and 2.1 million Americans have an opioid use disorder. Clearly, the opioid epidemic is a major public health challenge for our nation. These are the official numbers released by CDC for 2017. Over 70,000 drug overdose deaths in the United States. This is actually, this number is U.S. residents who died in the U.S. of drug overdoses. Uh, that is still underreported because we still have autopsies that are still out. Uh, almost 48,000 of those are related to opioids. That's Admiral Brett P. Giroir, MD, Assistant Secretary for Health at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. On this episode of Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association, Dr. Giroir provides a status report on the opioid epidemic that lays out the stark truth of the crisis and offers hope that the tide has begun to turn. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the American Medical Association. Here's Dr. Giroir. Just to level set where we are, um, there are multiple data sources and you hear lots of numbers, but um, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, the NISDA survey, gives us our best, deepest data on the state of opioid misuse in the country. Um, our latest data show about 11.4 million people misused opioids. About 2.1 million people actually had an opioid use disorder. 53% still received their pain reliever from a friend or a relative. So the extra pain relievers that are in the medicine cabinet are still a large issue in the country. Every four months during takeaway day, we get about a million pounds of opioids gathered from the country every four months. That's enough to fill three 757s stem to stern with opioid tablets. 36% receive it from a prescription healthcare provider. Uh, that number is actually going somewhat down, and the number of people doing doctor shopping has gone down tremendously because of your work with PDMPs and organizations. Uh, as was pointed out, most people misuse opioids because of pain. That's the number one issue. And if you've heard me speak any time, we cannot solve the nation's opioid crisis until we solve the nation's pain crisis. We are very excited about the Pain Management Task Force report, but it is a very patient-centered, uh, provider-sensitive uh, document that tries to make sure that although we have guidelines, it's still about the doctor and the patient, fundamentally. Where we stand right now, these are the official numbers released by CDC for 2017. Over 70,000 drug overdose deaths in the United States. This is actually, this number is U.S. residents who died in the U.S. of drug overdoses. Uh, that is still underreported because we still have autopsies that are still out. Uh, almost 48,000 of those are related to opioids. And I think we all understand that the main problem now is the synthetic opioids uh, such as fentanyl and even carfentanil. Uh, looking back from June 2017 to June 2018, uh, heroin deaths are down, uh, prescription pill deaths are down, methadone deaths are down. It's the synthetic opioids, it's the illegal fentanyl that are up, but we can't forget the old nemeses, cocaine up significantly, and psychostimulants, primarily meth. So these are returning in a major way, meth on the West Coast, fentanyl specifically all over the country, but more importantly on the East Coast. And I will say some new data that are there, but when you look at the cocaine deaths, 70% of those also have opioids detected. The majority of those are fentanyl. So we're in a multi-poly drug use situation that's affecting the country. 
as a, as a pediatric critical care physician, I deal with fentanyl in two mics per kilo. You probably deal it in, with it in 50 or 100 mics. So when you see things like this, Customs and Border Patrol sees 254 pounds of fentanyl coming across the border, enough to kill 50 to 60 million people. You understand the issues that are involved. Now that's shocking to everyone. The most shocking thing to me is the street value of all that fentanyl is only $3.5 million. You can kill 20% of the American population for $3.5 million street value, and you can buy that from Chinese uh, illicit market for orders of magnitude less than that. So it is a horrible situation. Uh, again, most of this comes illegally from China, either directly into the mail or to Mexico and Canada and then smuggled across the borders. As a pediatrician, I'm very concerned uh, with illicit substance use among pregnant women. This just looks at the percent of women who used illicit substances within the last month. So it's only looking one month back. You can see on the left side of that screen, the percent is up to about 8.5% in 2017. The majority of that is, is marijuana use during pregnancy. You'll hear a lot more about that from the Surgeon General and our uh, administration coming up. But still, tobacco products, alcohol, uh, still on its way up. Um, that has led to uh, sort of a silent uh, epidemic with neonatal abstinence syndrome in children. Um, this is something I took care of infrequently uh, as a pediatric critical care physician in Dallas. Uh, it's one thing to have a baby with the shakes. You can certainly withdraw them, swaddle them, get them over. The problem is they are often 24-weekers or 26-weekers. And now we're seeing that many of these children, a high percentage, have developmental disorders. So they have long-term neurocognitive disorders that we're going to have to deal with that we're just learning about. Um, this was just a report that got me very concerned as well. Gastroschisis, something I deal with as a pediatric ICU doc frequently. We're starting to see these associations where the rates are going up and it correlates exactly with the opioid misuse uh, and opioid use among mothers within the regions. So what are we going to see coming down the pike? I don't know, but it's certainly concerning. It's not just opioid methamphetamine-related uh, 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 use uh, during pregnancy and amphetamines were uh, associated with high degree of preterm delivery and also severe morbidity and mortality among the mother and of the child. So again, this is an issue that we're dealing with across the board. All of you know this. Uh, we're, uh, HIV rates, about 10% of HIV is associated with IV drug use. Hepatitis C has gone up 300 or 400%. Uh, all types of weird skin, bone, and joint infections. There was just a report of wound botulism, nine cases in California. So all the weird kind of stuff is really happening in the population. Endocarditis a problem. Uh, you might send a person home on IV uh, on a, with a porticath or with a, an in, with a pick line. Very hard to send a person who's an IV drug user own, uh, home with the main line so they could use the drugs. So a lot of these people stay in the hospital, uh, resources, multi-drug resistance, everything there. We're sensitive to all of that. The HHS plan, and I won't bore you with this because I know all of you know this, but this is still our slide. We really emphasize better addiction prevention, treatment, and recovery services better data, what is happening where, and how quickly can we determine that so we can act regionally. Better pain management is absolutely key. I think all of you know, and I was certainly part of the generation where pain was the fifth vital sign. This was taught, this was emphasized, and as we know, most people who use heroin, um, at least now, started with prescription opioids to begin with. Better targeting of overdose reversing drugs like naloxone, and of course, research across the board. 
Um, how do we give MAT? How do we deliver it to people? What are new pain medications that are non-addictive? What are new targets? If you're really interested in what the strategy is, we published this, I think, last September. Uh, the website is there. It takes those five uh, strategies, and it, we have about 73 independent strategies that we're pursuing within HHS so that people who are really involved in this can look deeper. Uh, those 73 strategies relate to about 600 different programs that we have across the board. Um, it's an easy read, but it gives you the breadth of what we're doing. So what is evidence-based treatment? I spend a lot of time on the road making sure that everybody understands that any one of these is partially effective, but the best effect is all of these put together. Um, FDA-approved uh, medication-assisted therapy, I think all of you know that uh, the data are pretty clear that people do better on MAT than they do off MAT. How long? Do they need to be on it? When can they be tapered off? How do you taper them off? What people need what kind of therapy are all open clinical questions. Um, the, we know a lot, but there's a lot we don't know. And we don't know a lot more than we do know. But that's clearly there. Psychosocial therapies, recovery services, very important. We work with the faith-based community a lot because people need jobs, they need employment, they need housing, uh, they need education, they need to be loved in a community setting where they're accepted without stigma. And finally, naloxone, uh, which all of you I'm sure are familiar with. Just wanna highlight a couple things to this group. Um, this was data published by Chris Jones, Captain Jones, and uh, Ellie McCann's Katz, who's the Assistant Secretary in charge of SAMHSA, that looked at uh, physician prescri clinician prescribing behavior of buprenorphine. There's always a push and push and push to have more people wavered, which I think is a good thing, uh, opening up different disciplines who could prescribe buprenorphine. But fundamentally, the issue is people who are wavered don't prescribe enough. They're not even close to their limits. So in this study, clinicians prescribing at or near their limit was only 13.1%. So there's a huge amount of capacity in the system. So we, we, what we have been focusing more and more is just on the barriers. The number one barrier is lack of patient demand, that people are not seeking treatment or getting channeled into treatment, which is an incredible issue. We're working on that from the ER, um, where you can start therapy and channeling them with a warm handoff to any opportunity to get people in therapy. Time constraints in practice that relates to a lot of the things that we all know about that are constraining yourself in practice. We're trying to eliminate some of that. And insurance requirements, again, trying to knock that out individually. And we can talk about that a little bit later. Now, oxone is something we've been pressing a lot. Uh, the CDC guidelines talks about co-prescribing naloxone. If your patient's on MME greater than 50, uh, or certainly if they're gone greater than 90, um, if they're co-prescribed benzodiazepines, uh, if they have a number of other conditions, uh, the Surgeon General has taken this on as a major issue. But still, we see a lot of opportunities. This was data published by the CDC uh, in August that looked at almost 12,000 opioid deaths from a new database that we have. If you look across the board in red, of all of these overdoses, between 41 and 45% had a bystander present during the overdose, but yet naloxone was only administered by a bystander between 0.8 and 4.4% of the time. These are tens of thousands of people dying every year that we could have the possibility of reversing and channeling them in the treatment. Um, the illicit opioids have more than the prescription opioids because people tend to inject in a group setting and there tends to be naloxone there in case someone gets into trouble. That's just the social nature of doing this, but there's still a huge uh, amount that we can do. Um, we looked at some uh, data across the board 
Um, if you look at the CDC guidelines for suggested co-prescription for MME greater than 50, this is with the PDX database. That's almost 8,600 pharmacies. The rate of naloxone co-prescription was only 0.3%, and 40% of those were never filled. So the co-prescription rates are very, very low. When you look at Medicare, and we will be publishing this data very soon, MME's 90 to 120 was still only 1.6% or greater than 120 was 5.2%, and this was entirely driven by the states who have mandatory co-prescribing on their laws. So I th still think we have a long way to go to consider, so please consider co-prescribing. It's not the answer to everything. It may only move the needle four, five, six percent, but it's still a very important uh, aspect. And we put out new guidance in December that re-emphasize the importance of co-prescribing. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So how have people done? So if you look from the start of the administration, January 2017, to the last public data that we've released in November 2018, um, this, is all, this is all your groups. These are physicians and clinicians working through guidelines, working in professional societies to more appropriately prescribe opioids, and it's dramatic. I don't think I've ever seen this dramatic of a shift, uh, certainly in recent memory. Total MMEs have declined by almost 26%. Um, the number of unique patients receiving buprenorphine up about 22%. Naltrexone prescriptions up 47%. And naloxone prescriptions, despite our still uh, that we still need to do it more, up by 340% just in that period of time. This is tremendous progress, and this is really all the physician and clinician community doing it uh, with themselves. This is not laws that mandate X, Y, or Z, and we try to stay away from that to get the government out of the practice of medicine to the degree that we can. Uh, the number of individuals who misuse pain relievers from 2015 to 2017 did decrease by 1.4 million, and we've had a 300,000 decrease in people with opioid use disorder. This doesn't mean we've won. We still have 70,000 people dying, but the things that we're doing are starting to make impact. So again, the transition is often from prescription opioids to heroin or to heroin and fentanyl. Between 2016 and 2017, there was a 61% decrease in first-time heroin users, and it's down even more dramatically between 2015 and 2017. Again, doesn't mean we've solved the problem, but it means all the work that you're doing, that we're doing together, is starting to have an impact. This is another new data source that looks at um, ED visits for drug overdoses and looking at percent change. And our latest data is Q2 2017 to Q2 2018. Uh, overdose uh, visits down almost 7%, and for opioids, down 14.5%. Again, going in the right direction. Looking 12 months year to year, our overdose deaths are down 0.9% in the country. Um, still, not saying that we've conquered this, but it's starting to go in the right direction. And then if you look at the rolling 12 months, so the number of deaths at the 12-month period, the last 12-month period that we reported on was in January, which looked at June 2017 to June 2018. And basically, you can see the shape of the curve. Um, we have seemed to have reached 
a peak of mortality, and we've sort of come over that peak, but we're in a very bad flat area right now. I'm very concerned that over the past three or four months that we've not continued our trajectory downward. And again, we're looking at that, and a lot of it relates to synthetic opioids in the mid-Atlantic. Um, so we're really focusing on that. There's some states who have had tremendous uh, progress. Uh, we're going to look at New York. New York State has done really, really well with opioids. And there's some things they're doing are a little bit different. We're going to try to see if that could explain it. So what are we doing in the upcoming year? Uh, first of all, I think a lot of you know about the Support Act. I'm sure the AMA was very involved in the provisions of the Support Act. Um, there are a lot of things going on there that we will be implementing. Um, my office will be running the implementation for HHS. We actually have a 25-page spreadsheet of actions that HHS is required to do. Um, most of them are very positive. A lot of them are paperwork, but you know it's okay. But on average, this is a really, really good act that will improve our abilities um, to provide care. Something I'm very concerned about is, although we are in a crisis and a public health emergency, we really have to transition from a crisis framework into an integrated, sustainable, predictable, and resilient public health system for preventing and treating substance use and other behavioral health disorders. It's nice to have a billion dollars in SAMHSA grants, but we really need to align reimbursement so people can get paid for the right therapy, that, there's, uh, that you don't have to go through 16 different mechanisms in order to, okay. So, uh, you know, we really need to get, it is a crisis, but we need to build a system and a structure to make this work because this is not going to go away in the next year. This is going to be with us for decades to come, so we need to face it and build that. And in my mind, we're really focusing on what are people doing right now that is sort of a Band-Aid way or trying to get a workaround and build that into the system. Um, some of these are going to be iterated in uh, alternative payment models, like the maternal opioid misuse model that's currently on the streets to look at the way to bundle uh, services for moms. There'll be another one coming out very soon about integrated services for kids, uh, and you'll see more comprehensive opioid uh, for, uh, models from CMMI coming out in the next uh, six months. We're also building some national infrastructure. There's no real way to understand what happens to a baby with NAS. Uh, at six months or 12 months when they get lost in the system. This was uh, a national convening that we had, and the First Lady has been to two of these with us. We're working with Vanderbilt uh, and a number of other medical centers in order to create the infrastructure, not just for opioids, but for what's going on with babies exposed to marijuana, um, methamphetamine, the whole, the, whole, the whole gamut. We have some cross-cutting initiatives that we're very excited about. I'll just highlight a couple of them. The CDC, this is number two, is working on sort of a meta-analysis of indication-specific opioid prescribing guidelines. So not don't do this or don't give this much, but let's look for the 40 most common indications. What are all the societies saying about them? It's really no new data, but it's sort of a meta-analysis and congregation of the guidelines that are already there. And I think uh, this is an open process with AFACA, and I'm sure you're probably involved in that. And then opioid rapid response teams, where the public health service will be going out uh, into communities when requested with our behavioral health and our treatment assets to support communities, but also to be there that if the DOJ has to take down pill mills and those patients are left with nowhere to turn, that we could be there until we can give a warm handoff to other providers within the community. Last thing I'll say is um, this is partially related to IV drug use, but I'm very excited about um, uh, our opportunities in HIV. 
Um, 700,000 Americans have lost their lives to HIV since 1981. It accounts for $20 billion in annual expenditures. And shockingly enough, there are 40,000 new cases of HIV every year in the US, despite the fact that we have the medications, the technologies to completely stop this in its tracks. So um, I think you saw in the State of the Union, which we were very excited about, that the president announced our plan to end the HIV epidemic in the United States. This has been an effort that uh, five of us, uh, Bob Redfield, Tony Fauci, George Sagunas at HRSA, Admiral Mike Wiaki from the Indian Health Service, and me from the Office of the Secretary, have been working on for months. Um, this is a bold but very doable plan to decrease the number of infections by 75% in five years and 90% in 10, and we will start focusing on the 48 counties, DC and San Juan, that account for 50% of the infections. This is really a striking number because uh, we don't have to go through 3,000 counties to start. You could focus in a, in a public health way to get this done. Obviously, early diagnosis, treatment, I think as you, all of you know that if you can get a person treated and virally suppressed, they are unable to transmit the virus to a partner. It's been, a, uh, the data are overwhelming. Protect, this is expansion of PrEP, uh, so that people at risk, only about 10%, maybe 15% of those who need PrEP are actually on it. Uh, respond to public health emergencies, and most importantly, we are gonna be very soon supplementing local health departments to put boots on the ground at the local level, uh, because this is a community and local issue. We have to reach people who are very difficult to reach. This, as the opioids, is really a whole-of-society initiative. Uh, I'm in the federal government now. Uh, I won't be in some time coming up. You know, we will, we will change our places. Um, feds can't do this alone. States can't do it alone. Professional societies can't. Uh, whether it's opioids or HIV, it really is a whole-of-society approach. That was Dr. Jawa on America's opioid epidemic and what can be done to stop it. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. To get exclusive AMA advocacy news and information impacting patients, physicians, and the healthcare environment, subscribe to the AMA's Advocacy Update newsletter at ama-assn.org advocacy-update. You can also subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>